welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. Federal prosecutors are investigating an international network of traders suspected of infiltrating banks and companies and making tens of millions of dollars by using confidential information to trade ahead of media reports about takeover talks or merger announcements. That's according to Bloomberg sources. Joining me is Peter Henning, a professor at Wayne State University Law School. Peter, explain this, uh, this network that prosecutors are looking into. Well, what they're focusing on is that um, they were able to develop different sources inside uh, investment banks, including the Wall Street Journal reported that uh, the governments are looking at um, someone who was inside Citibank in London. And really what makes this different from the typical insider trading case is that, at least according to the reports, that information was fed to journalists so that then it could get into the media, which, of course, will cause a stock to pop up at least somewhat. And that way they don't have to wait for any deal to be completed, because, as we know, it's not necessarily the case that every deal is going to be completed. But trading ahead of the media report lets you at least make some money that way. So the traders here allegedly did a lot to cover their tracks using burner phones, uh, shell companies, complex financial instruments. How much harder will that make investigating this? Well, certainly, the, uh, you know, most white-collar defendants aren't very good about using burner phones, but if they use them in the right way, which was make one phone call and then get rid of it, uh, for those of us um, who watch Breaking Bad, <laughs> yes. then you know that is really going to make it much more difficult to trace out who their sources are. And uh, using shell companies is, especially in the United States where you don't have to report who owns the company, then that is a pretty easy way to hide who's behind it. Now, Uh, You know, prosecutors are able to trace bank transactions and things like that. But the problem is once the money has left the United States or the United Kingdom or even France, who's also looking at this, um, it's going to be very hard to ever get it back. And if it goes into the banking system and you're not able to trace it, then that money is gone. And proving a case is going to be very difficult if you can't follow the money. And so they are having uh, what often happens in these insider trading cases. They're having a lower level member of this syndicate who flipped. And and that's how this really got going. That's right. That there was, excuse me, a um, someone in Serbia Uh, was arrested and then extradited to the United States. And, you know, as long as you have someone on the inside who can point you in the right direction, that, of course, can be very helpful. And we've seen that before, going back a decade with the Raj Rajaratnam cases, where prosecutors got cooperating witnesses who would say, look at this trade, look at that trade. Um, getting someone on the inside is absolutely invaluable 
to investigators and prosecutors because then you can try to trace the money, but you can also build your case by looking at well-timed trades. And I think that's really what they're focusing on. Can they figure out who the source was and can they show these were very well-timed trades? This investigation involves U.S., U.K., and French prosecutors operating on parallel tracks. How unusual is that and the cooperation among countries? Certainly. I mean, it's unusual in the sense that typically the Department of Justice just conducts its own investigations. But if you're talking about an international ring, then, of course, you're going to have to get the cooperation from foreign regulators and foreign prosecutors. So this one is a little bit unusual in that I think we're going to see a lot of information sharing, which doesn't always happen. But here, they're going to have to try to give each other information if they ever hope to track this down and figure out who was the source inside the different investment banks, or there's some talk that gifts were given to people in law firms and places like that, which, of course, those are always good sources of inside information. And so I would expect this will take time. So anybody thinking that we'll see charges in the next month or two, I think is mistaken. This is a kind of case that's going to take months to develop. But once it is developed, then I would expect we will see criminal charges filed. U.K. financial prosecutors did wrap up a trial and got some convictions. A former UBS compliance officer and her friend were sentenced to three years for insider trading after a London trial that featured accounts of lavish champagne-fueled nights out at exclusive nightclubs, racking up 8,000-pound bills, a network of traders who only spoke on burner phones, and evidence stashed in a Chanel bag. I I, I couldn't resist this one. Well, (laughs) you know, this is almost like it's coming out of billions or, you know, some kind of television show. But um, in fact, you know, the the best way to hide yourself is to use a burner phone as long as you get rid of it and uh, do your best not to leave any kind of paper trail. Um, The problem is going to be if they did contact people in the media there could be enough of a paper trail there to build a case. So it's certainly going to be interesting. And the Financial Conduct Authority won the conviction. Now they got sentenced to three years. It's unlikely they will serve that full amount of time. But still, the government might be able to get some cooperation out of them or the U.K. government. And that can uh, open up a way to start to develop a case. So, Peter, compare the prosecution of insider trading in the UK to the prosecution in the US where we've had so many court rulings about what constitutes insider trading is it tougher here than it is there uh, certainly it's tougher here than it is in the EU um, in the United States you have to show a breach of a fiduciary duty or what's called another duty of trust and confidence in the EU it is a what's called a possession theory If you possess inside information and trade on it, you're guilty. And so it's probably easier to prove it in the U.K. or in the E.U. than it's going to be in the United States, although building a case here showing a breach of fiduciary duty is sometimes not all that difficult if you've got an insider who's tipping off. But um, 
I would expect it's going to be easier in the EU to build a case by just showing that these people had inside information and then traded on it. That's a much simpler approach than in the United States. Well, we continue to watch these insider trading trials come to the forefront. Thanks so much, Peter. That's Peter Henning. He's a professor at Wayne State University Law School. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.